Working drummer. Now kick it. This is the Working Drummer Podcast, serving up perspectives, experiences, and stories from ground-level working pros. Advice, tips, and secrets on how to build a career in the music business. Hey everyone, I'm Zach Albetta, and welcome to Working Drummer Podcast. Today, I'm excited to bring you my conversation with Chad Gamble, who has been the drummer for Jason Isbell and the 400 units since not very many people knew who they were. Over 12 years, Chad has been a part of the band's evolution from five guys in a van playing small clubs into a world-touring, Grammy-winning premier act. Chad, along with Jason and other members of the band, grew up in the Muscle Shoals area in Alabama, where he still lives, records, and teaches when not touring with Jason. We will soon be adding to our Patreon content. John Hull from Drum Paradise Nashville has put together a snare tuning tutorial. John was featured along with Harry McCarthy on an episode a few weeks ago talking all things drum paradise and drum teching. Go to patreon.com slash working drummer and become a patron in any amount and you'll get access to this and all of the content we're publishing monthly. Really, any amount is appreciated if you see fit to contribute even a dollar a month that'll go towards covering the expenses of bringing you this podcast every week. Once again, that's patreon.com slash working drummer. So time once again to check in with our buddy Arjuna Contreras. Let's see what RJ's up to. Hey, Matt. How's it going, man? Hey, good, man. How are you? I'm doing good. Doing uh, a little better than the last time I talked to you. I think I was sick last time. I'm still uh, not 100%, but I'm getting closer. That's good. That's good. <laughs> I, yeah. I'm on an antibiotic now, so it's pretty much like wiping out like everything that was yeah. unholy. It, the, everything that was unholy in me, <laughs> and probably a few, destroyed, and probably so. a few things that were holy. That's getting rid of that too, just <laughs> along with it. Yeah. <laughs> well, man, I'm I'm sorry to hear, but I'm glad that you're on the mend. Where are you, and what are you doing? Well, I'm in Whitefish, Montana today, which is actually it's absolutely beautiful up here. I had I I was here last year as well. And um, it was a little bit more towards the winter when we were here last time, but it is beautiful out here. And of course, like it's, um, I don't know if you're familiar with the area, but we're really close to Glacier National Park. I am very familiar with the area, man. I love it. It's my favorite part of the world. Yeah. So yeah, it's, man, it's gorgeous. I'm going to get out and do some walking today. We're staying about a mile from the, the venue, so going to walk there for sound check in a few minutes here and walk back afterwards and uh, try to get got my Fitbit on, try to get some steps in. But uh, but yeah, it's like 75 degrees here. It feels, feels beautiful. Last time we were here, it was snowing, <laughs> so, um, which was also really pretty, but it was super cold. I bet. Um, yeah, so you are in one of my favorite places in the world. And um <laughs> Great coffee shops. Make sure there is a oh gosh, there's a there's a wild berry that's really popular. Uh, uh, I can't remember the name of it. Um, a, a very specific. You'll see it all over. They they have lattes flavored after this berry. Um, fudge. Oh really? Yeah. I'm gonna, I'm gonna definitely have to try one of those today. Yeah, like you, you, you'll be like, oh, that's what he's talking about. That it's everywhere. It's like purple. It's it's you know, um, man, you're in a good place to get healthy is what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, the air also just feels so good up here. Like, yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I say up here, I don't think we're not that 
our elevation isn't that much. I think it's, I, I think I read that it's like around 3000 or something. But, it's not bad. Um, not noticeable. No. Yeah. I mean, we were in Colorado, you know, for the last few days or whatever. And, mm-hmm. you know, and, uh, also Casper, Wyoming, I think was up pretty high also. Right. Um, well, so where are you at in the in the itinerary? Are you in the middle of this uh, tour, uh, this we're, run here? We're still towards the beginning, actually. Um, I think this is our fifth show. Um, this tonight will either be our fifth or sixth show out of I think we have twenty two on this run, mm-hmm. um, and most of them are in Canada. We're making our way up to Canada. Most of the shows are in Canada. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think we're in Spokane tomorrow and then uh bellingham washington on friday and then yeah and then saturday we're in vancouver and then i think we have 11 or 12 shows in in canada and uh then we dip back down to the states like through minnesota i think and you know we're doing um i think at that point we only have like three shows left in the tour like minneapolis and um we usually play First Avenue in Minneapolis, which obviously is a blast because of all the history at that venue. But I think we're playing there in December, so we're at a, di- a different venue um, okay. this time. And then we're playing that um, Summerfest in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, which I'm really stoked about because, like, I used to go to it as a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, it's this music festival that lasts two weeks up there, and like every there's like a ton of stages, and every it's like oh. I'm going to see Sticks at 4 p.m. and then I'm going to see um, <laughs> Foreigner at 7, and then the Brian Setzer Orchestra is playing the next day at 11. Uh, you know, this like this crazy that you see so many like really big, you know, bands um, just on like on like ground level stages. You know, like uh, well, you know, proper festival stages, but not like you know they're not like sheds. Well, there is a shed there, and each night like there's right, but uh, you know like someone you're just someone closer than normal there each night. Yeah, yeah, you're closer than normal. Yeah, so it's just, it was a super fun festival, and I always dreamed as a kid of of playing you know one of the big stages there, and so on June 30th, that dream will come true, you know, for the first time, you know, like I'll be in a, playing in a band that's headlining, you know, one of those big stages. So, and I, you know, I have like about 25 family members there because I grew up in that area, you know, like it's about a half an hour from the town that I grew up in. So. That's amazing. Those are always fun. Yeah. Yeah. Like I was saying, I've really dreamt about it forever. And, uh, you know, so that that's pretty much towards the end of the tour. We have like I think a, we have a show in in like Little Rock, Arkansas, and then we'll we'll be back in Dallas on July third. Uh, oh, so okay. we're out. You know, like we're still still kind of towards the towards the beginning of this deal. Hey, it's Huckleberry. Huckleberry. Okay. Huckleberry. People are like, "What is he talking about?" Uh, <laughs> depends on how I edit this. Today, I, today I will I will search out and drink a Huckleberry latte. Huckleberry latte, man, you've got to and and, and send me a picture or something. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna post it on I'm gonna post it on Instagram and tag you in it. <laughs> Thank you, because <laughs> that road gig that road gig that I left is the one that used to play out there all the time. So I haven't been out there in a long okay. time. So I'm oh, super, really? yeah, okay, I'm super okay, uh-huh. super jealous. Man, okay, we'll get get ready for that. Uh, get ready for that Instagram. Post yeah, <laughs> I'm going to drink. Dad, why are you licking your phone? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Sweet man. So hey, so that month off. When does that come up? Just give us a real quick uh, timeline of when yeah. that happens. 
Yeah, as I think I'm off as of July 8th when we get back from that California show. And um, I'm going to be in Nashville for, for at least a, a good couple weeks of that time. I'm, I'm definitely going to be there for Summer Nam, like uh, between the, the week of, I think Summer Nam is like the 18th through the 20th. So I'll be out there that week. Okay. Well, here's what I think I want to do. Um, we're we're rounding out our year of following you, and I think we want to. Um, I think I want to come back to you and and pick up. Uh, we'll have this on our episode tomorrow or today, depending on when you're listening to this, obviously. And um, Zach will have this on his episode next week. And then I think that um, when you're coming off the road in the beginning of June, like that first or second week, let's check in with you then and see how things okay. are happening and what your plans are for Nashville. And um, so we'll get, we'll get caught up with how the tour went, how awesome Canada was, and uh, what your plans are for in town. Does it sound like a plan? Yeah, it sounds great. Awesome, man. Listen, man, get well. Thoughts and prayers, right? Um, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, thanks, man. (laughs) Thoughts and prayers and a little science. How about that? Whatever, just throw yeah, it. Throw, yeah, let's, 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 not forget, let's not forget the science. Let's <laughs> throw, everything, throw everything at this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Dude, good to hear from you. Go get yourself a Huckleberry Latte, and uh, that'll, be the, uh, that'll be the elixir that helps you. That'll, that, that, what if that's the missing puzzle? Like, what if I, I drink that, and all of a sudden I'm like, <laughs> I'm, I'm Superman. Like, <laughs> the sinuses sinus clear up, the cough is gone, everything. <laughs> oh, yeah, dude, dude. Hey, sounds good, man. Be safe. Will do, man. Great talking to you, brother. See you, man. Bye. Okay. Bye-bye. I had a great time talking with Chad. It's something I had been wanting to do for a while since the first time I saw Jason Isbell at the Wiltern in Los Angeles. I've been a huge fan of the band and his drumming ever since, and as I suspected, he's a very good-natured and down-to-earth guy. We had a great talk. So let's get to it. Hope you dig Chad Gamble. What's the latest in uh, Jason Isbell land? Well, we've been um, we've been kind of not dormant, but slow for the past five months. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we, uh, you know, kind of at that point in the record cycle where. Uh, it's been about two years now, so we'll be going back in the fall and doing a new record. But uh, coming up in June, we'll be doing Coast to Coast and doing a co-headline with uh, Father John Misty. Right. I saw that on the on the website today. Yeah, um, that's going to be fun. So you talk about the record cycle. I mean, how, how long have you been in that cycle with, with Jason, and uh, what, does that, what does that look like? Well— it's been my experience with him and I'm in my 11th year with him right Mm -hmm. now. So, uh, it's a, we can usually stretch one out, uh, and ride on a record for about two years Mm -hmm. as has been the, the average I would say. And, uh, so, and, and thankfully we can do that. The, the, The responses have been, been favorable. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it, uh, and you know, and in that time, he'll he'll be writing music, uh, and you know, when he's ready, we go we go in. So right, 
And when when he's ready, d- does that mean he's got twelve songs like fully fleshed out, start to finish? Uh, and- pretty much, pretty much. He uh, he definitely has uh, skeletal, if not more. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, when we don't hear anything until we get into the studio. So he keeps it all pretty close to his chest until yeah. we actually get in there. Right. And and the way we do it is he will get in and he'll get an acoustic guitar and we'll start with the first song and he'll run it run it down for us and everybody will kind of, you know, get an idea of what they want to do. Yeah, so this is something I was curious about is just, you know, kind of the 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 songwriting process for the band as a whole. Um, and it, it sounds like uh, Jason wants to get kind of your first instinctual uh, approach to a song rather than hash Absolutely. it out for weeks and weeks. And Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. We usually have, you know, we, we don't usually take more than, you know, I don't know, three, four takes. Wow. Uh, sometimes less, you know, especially if we get the drums and bass down. So. Right, right. Um so it's best usually to take the minimalist approach to it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, especially with a, a a songwriter as sort of distinct as as Jason, um, I would imagine that it 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 could be easy to just kind of overwork those songs or overproduce yeah. them or right overthink them. <laughs> right, and that, and it's uh, that's kind of become my the way I do uh, when when I. Uh, do sessions for other people or around town here. I'll, I generally don't like to listen to demos. Hmm. Uh, I kind of like to, uh, either get the, get it run down when we get in the studio or, you know, I'll go out in the parking lot that day and listen, yeah. you know, before, before we go in. Yeah. Cool. And do you, I mean, it's, it sounds like you pretty much have carte blanche to kind of create a drum part. Kind of, you know, sometimes it, it's, you know, you just know that what it needs, right. uh, and and again, that minimalist approach. And then, you know, from there, I, you know, you can you can tell what the bare bones need to be, and then you try to decide, or I try to decide if there's a way around it without doing too much. You know, like train beats, for right, instance. Right. That's a constant struggle with us, and, and we try <laughs> to find. You know, he knows I hate train beats. It's not Do that you? I hate them, but I, I just don't, I, you know, I, I don't want more than a handful of songs that have right. a train beat. Right. And so that that's kind of a constant thing. But over the years, we've, we've you know, we've found uh, ways around them, you know, mm-hmm. whether it be with mallets and floor toms and, you know, and some songs or a lot of songs. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it it's usually kind of there and you know what it needs to be. Right. And then you just try to not finesse it, but, you know, make it a little bit different. Yeah. And in that process, like, have, have there ever been any songs where, like, Jason had a, you know, a certain idea about just the flavor and feel of a song, um, but you got into the studio with the band and it ended up being something uh, significantly different? Or are they pretty much his vision? They they are usually pretty close to his vision. One song that stands out uh, 
from the southeastern record is Stockholm. Yeah, I love. I was thinking about that song the other day, and I was wondering if it would come up today. And I'm so glad <laughs> it did because <laughs> it's he, such uh, a great song. It's such a great arrangement. He, uh, I, I want to say, and this was back in 2012, so my memory night may not be great on this, but when he brought it in, it was it did have a little bit of a different feel to it, mm-hmm. and then I tried to start swinging it a little more yeah which, which i love to do and don't get a lot of opportunity to do right with him um and it stuck thankfully yeah but, you know, i mean that, that's i actually you know had some input on one of those songs yeah <laughs> yeah song, so um both it's when one I, of my favorites <clears throat> it's one of my favorites too and when i when i heard that song on the record and i've i've seen you guys one time it was uh when i lived in la years ago at the wiltern um, yeah. This is probably five years ago at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, both on the record and in that live performance, I was like, oh, this this guy's got jazz back there somewhere. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm a I'm a faker, but I, I love to do it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, you like you 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 swing your ass off on that tune and and on that tune and a lot of others, you have a really active left foot. Um, you know, doing a, doing a bunch of splashy shit on the hi hat. And, uh, Mm -hmm. yeah, I was just super intrigued by, by that song. Cause it, I mean, it has that, uh, you know, Coltrane, my favorite things feel on it. Right. Um, right. With a backbeat obviously, but, um, but that's really cool. Um, so what, what is your background? I mean, is there some jazz back there? I know you went to college. Um, I did go to college, uh, but not for music. I have a degree in public relations. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Mom and dad are real proud of that. <laughs> but <laughs> no, it, it's actually served me uh, served me well uh, a couple of different ways. I, whenever I have needed to get a job in the past, mm-hmm. having a degree, just, you know, whether it's sales or whatever, and that, that degree, that piece of paper, really gives you a uh, um, a foot in the door actually right um, as long as that piece of paper isn't a music degree <laughs> exactly exactly I mean really yeah. Uh, but yeah so my background I uh, I started playing at a young age uh, my I think I got my first little drum like at age four from a aunt of mine for Christmas mm-hmm. and I still remember that uh, and then Years following, you know, as I showed more and more interest, uh, I get a little, you know, toy drum set for Christmas and then gradually progress up to an actual playable model, you know. Right, right. A lot of, a lot of Pearl Juniors and Diamond <laughs> Rocks and stuff like that. And then, and then you know, uh, and then I, I was in marching band in school, in uh, high school, which was a little bit unorthodox because I'm in a small town and the band at that time, there may have been maybe 50 Mm -hmm. members in the marching band. Right. And three of those were drummers. (laughs) So we got sidelined my first year doing it and we did three bass drums on stands and we had a, a quad player and then me playing snare and I played snare all the way through high school. Yeah. But I was the only one for the longest time. And my reading was not very strong. Uh, and I was pretty lazy about it. Um, so what my band teachers would do, and I went through a couple of them, but what they 
learned that they could do was just give me a cassette at the end of the school year for the next school year mm-hmm. uh, before band camp started. And, you know, I learned these parts. Um, also, if you could learn the other parts <laughs> from the other drummers and <laughs> right. teach it to them. You know? Right. So that that worked. Uh, obviously, it didn't serve me real well as far as being able to read, which I do read now in my adult life. Right, I was going to ask. I tried to make it a point to be able to. <laughs> eventually caught up on, on the reading tip. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and honestly, I started teaching lessons for a while, and uh, that helped. Teaching yeah. actually helped me to, mm-hmm. to learn to read, forced me to. So, yeah, the high school marching band and then got out of, High school, went to college, and uh, started playing in bands and bars and mm-hmm. stuff, you know, and kind of got my foothold there and was able to, to make some money and get experience. So you're doing, like, country bands or cover bands? or, uh, or cover bands, yeah, and, yeah. but also I was involved in kind of the blues scene. There's a, And I went to the University of Alabama, and so in Tuscaloosa, there's a, a pretty big blues society, mm-hmm. or there was back then. And uh, so I was in, you know, as a 19, 20-year-old, I was in these blues bands with, you know, 60-year-old, yeah. <laughs> 70-year-old, uh, you know, black men and women that, right. you know, were, were kind of local hero, heroes or regional heroes uh-huh. in the blues. And so that, that helped a ton. Uh, I developed, you know, shuffle techniques. Yeah. And train beats. Uh, (laughs) Of course. Of course. (laughs) But it really, it it disciplined me because, you know, when I play in with a group of my peers, not really learning a whole lot, you know. And so these people had been around and they knew what they wanted. They knew exactly what they wanted, actually, Mm -hmm. and weren't afraid (laughs) to tell you. Uh, So, yeah, it disciplined me. And then from college, I went on to, uh, I lived in Shreveport for a little bit and traveled Mm -hmm. And toured with a band called the Bluebirds, the trio, and traveled around the country with them for a little bit, and then moved to Memphis, where my brother was already living. My brother is a uh, B3 player. Oh, cool. And so he was already establishing himself in Memphis, and I decided I wanted to follow him and do that. Yeah. Okay, uh, so I, I want to hear about Memphis, but I want to I stop you for a second and go back. Go ahead. Um, Growing up in the in the Muscle Shoals area, mm-hmm. at what point in your life uh, did you kind of become aware of the the musical significance of of that place? Later than I should have, for <laughs> sure. Honestly, I mean, there were rumblings of you know stuff that went on in in Muscle Shoals, but it wasn't nearly as touted as it is now. Mm-hmm. Like they, it's. Uh, I knew that some songs were recorded here. Mm-hmm. I knew Mustang Sally was recorded here. I knew, you know, Land of a Thousand Dances, stuff like that. But, uh, yeah, later than, than it, it should have taken me to realize, for sure. Yeah. Uh, and thankfully, I've, you know, I've become a part of that now. And so I, I get to record with people like David Hood and, right. you know, Spooner and yeah, yeah. people like that. So so when you started learning about the, the significance of Muscle Shoals and, and fame and Muscle Shoals sound and all that, um, you know, I, I assume you're involved in music at this point. You're mm-hmm. playing around. And so when, when you became aware of it, was um, 
was it the kind of thing where where you were like, oh, I can I can be part of this tradition. I can go on to have a career in this area and you know be part of that lineage. It was a uh, uh, a glimmer of hope that, that I could <laughs> do that for sure. Yeah, I mean, you know, just the fact that you're close to people uh, or just in this area alone. The majority of people would say, you know, and I got this when I moved back here because I was kind of still struggling. But, you know, when are you going to give it up, you know, mm-hmm. and, and get that real job? You know, yeah, but, yeah. you know, these guys laid it out there and, you you know, wanted to be able to follow in their footsteps. And they just proved that it could be done. Right. You know, it may not be to the scale that they did it, but yeah, um, or groundbreaking scale that they did it. But, right. but yeah, it, uh, it, it became evident. And then, you know, again, back to my brother, him being able to do it, he graduated from Alabama as well. And he has an international relations degree, which was possible like CIA work or, you know, know, but he's a keyboard player. So So he kind of proved it, proved it to me first that it could be done. Uh, You know, you weren't going to get rich quick and Mm -hmm. you may not get rich at all, uh, but you could sustain and. You know, it was worth a shot to me. Right. Is he still in Memphis? He is. And he how, is. How long he, were you there? I was there for probably six years, mm-hmm. maybe. Um, and we, he, you know, was on Bill Street. When I got there, he had a house gig on Bill Street, mm-hmm. uh, playing almost every night of the week. Yeah. And I slowly worked my way into that along with, you know, side jobs, selling shoes or whatever, you yeah. know, at the local department store. Right. Uh, but I eventually weaseled my way in there and, and, you know, we were working there together for, you know, I don't know, a couple of years before we actually started our own band. Yeah. Which So you uh, were you were working in the same band as your brother? Mm-hmm. On yeah. Mill Street? For for. for for some of it, yeah, it was some. Uh, when I got my start there, I was playing with some uh, some different people than he was, but mm-hmm. uh, eventually, yeah, we were on the same stage together. So, talk about Beale Street a little bit. I've I've interviewed one other drummer from Memphis, which was Rod Bland, um, and uh, he, you know, he has kind of a unique perspective on the whole thing, being from <laughs> the family that he's from. Yeah, um, but. Uh, Beale Street, uh, you know, strikes me a little bit as as one of those areas like Bourbon Street in New Orleans or like Music Row in Nashville that over the years has has maybe become a little bit of a caricature of of itself. Um, yeah. Did you did you find that when you were there? Yeah, it. I think it's worse now. <laughs> uh, <laughs> of course, I hadn't even been on Beale Street in probably three or four years, but. Yeah. When when we were doing it, uh, you know, it was real players. It was guys, you know, giving their all every night, you yeah. know, and, and two gigs a night. A lot of times you'd play at BB's, uh, do the early shift there, and then haul all your crap over to Blue City Cafe or, you know, down to Black Diamond. And uh, it, it was a tourist trap then, but I think it's just even more so now because they've added all these – dance clubs and towards the end of my run there is when these dance clubs were coming in and it was just overtaking the street you know you couldn't hear the people actually playing in these other clubs like you used to be able to because of just the boom 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 boom, you know just going on the whole time right um 
so yeah, I, I don't think originally it was as wild as a New Orleans or you know out of control. I mean, hell, Nashville's like that now. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just awful <laughs> it is i wouldn't live there I'm not moving there alabama is making it hard right now but I yeah will not move to nashville yeah i don't know like it's my my co-host uh, matt kraus lives in nashville and most of the guys that he interviews uh live there and i'm 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 kind of with you man i don't like there's there's stuff to love about it there's stuff that's good about it and those sure. those music row gigs um i think according to matt and a few other people um you know, it it used to pay absolute shit. It used to be trench warfare, right? But in the last few years, like the pay has gone back up, the standards have come back up, and a lot of guys are like making a living. And guys that have you know salaried touring gigs, like Hubert Payne, sure, is down there on Music Row some nights, just yeah. just cause you know, yeah. Um, well, not but, to knock it too much, but you know, I mean, it's it's. Yeah, it's, it's well, just become what it's become. Well, whether it's, it's L.A. or Nashville or New York, I mean, there's there's stuff to legitimately knock. Sure, <laughs> you know, right. about any scene. So when you were on Beale Street, uh, like, were, were you making a living doing that, or was it kind of supplemental to something else? At first, it was supplemental. Uh, my wife at the time, still my wife, but at the time, she was <laughs> uh, she was finishing her education uh, at UT Memphis, and so I was I was doing a lot of double duty. But uh, eventually, it got to the point where you know I'm going to play five or six nights a week, and it's that's going to be the trade-off because I will be making some money and, yeah. you know, it's going to be prettier than me trying to, you know, sell shoes. So. Right. It's <laughs> <laughs> going to be better for everybody. And yeah. Yeah. I'm going to be in a better mood. And, <laughs> uh, but yeah, it, it did become its own thing for sure. Mm-hmm. And so the, you, you formed a, uh, like an original band with your brother. We did. Uh, what is his name? Al Gamble. Al Gamble. All right. Yeah. He plays uh, with St. Paul and the Broken Bones. Oh wow! Okay, cool. I, I, yeah. uh, Kevin Leon, their their recently appointed drummer, is a friend yep. of mine here in Atlanta who I interviewed recently as well. Cool. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, it, he's doing a fantastic job. By the way, he's, he's yeah, he's killing it. Yeah, he's really absolutely yeah. Couldn't have happened to a nicer dude. Yep. <laughs> so yeah, we started. Uh, the very original Gamble Brothers band. <laughs> uh, we went, we tried out some different names, and I can't even remember what they were. But we just finally were like, screw it, you know. Yeah, let's just call it what it is. Right, right. Um, and it was a quartet. It was organ, drums, bass, and sax. Cool. Uh, and we put three records out on a small Memphis label. Archer mm-hmm. Records, did some touring, you know, had some success, not really anything, you know, huge or anything like that, but, you know, had some favor, but it did, it, it just got too, too hard and nobody really knew what to do with us because it was, um, we, we drew from our influences, uh, stuff that we liked and influences like New Orleans stuff or, you know, kind of, Steely Danish mm-hmm. 
type soul and uh, uh, along with Muscle Shoals and Memphis influences too. Yeah, I mean Memphis uh, just has such a strong like soul soul jazz organ tradition, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean a lot yeah. of that uh, like Charles Earland and um, did did that that kind of stuff come out of Memphis? Uh, you know. I don't... I don't know. We need not, to check on that. Not Jimmy. Not Jimmy Smith. I don't think. Not but, Jimmy Smith. Um, no. Uh, I'm, there's. It's not Charles Ireland either. I'm thinking of a specific organ player whose name I can't dial up right now. But anyway, Charles Hodges. Possibly. <laughs> <laughs> He's Al Green's organ player. Right. Right. Um. So. It, so it was an instrumental group. No, not necessarily. Uh, it, it was almost half and half. Okay. Uh, uh, we did have vocals and we three-part harmonies and um you know it was fun it was different and mm-hmm. and um but it, you know it just with almost no support behind us it was just you know it's kind of a losing battle right uh and after about i don't know five years it, it just you know we had to kind of put the, the brakes on it right, right and then you know soon after other opportunities came calling for just about everybody in the band so mm-hmm. yeah and was was that jason for you it was it was uh i took a year off after we we called it quits i took a year off and was like you know i don't know if it, i'm settling down for you know for good or not but i've got to do something i had a two-year-old i had uh you know, my wife and we, you know, she was like, you know, we got to do something. And I knew I had to do something. So anyway, I took a job, took that degree to an interview uh-huh. <laughs> and uh, got a job selling uh, ads for a telephone book, huh. which is not fun at all. <laughs> it doesn't and sound like it. <laughs> I mean, it, I was the worst. I was the absolute worst. <laughs> um, and that that took me to some dark spots yeah. in my life. And, uh, you know, about a year later, my wife was like, uh, you know, I, I don't want to get divorced. Um, <laughs> but, so if you can find a, a gig, go for it. Yeah. That's and a, so I, that's a cool, uh, story because, you know, a, a recurring theme on the, on the podcast is, is just like married life and, and how that, uh, you know, intersects or sometimes butts heads with, yeah. Uh, a career in music and you know it uh i and my co-host matt and it sounds like you are are lucky enough to have partners who recognize that like this is what we do this is what makes us happy and uh absolutely yeah yeah um you're not gonna go at it without their blessing that's for sure i mean they're- right <laughs> and and it's 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 not just their blessing that they give it's not just permission it's it's like they they hold us accountable to be as you know the the best musicians we can be and to be as successful as as we have the potential to be instead of right. just tolerating it and be like oh you're playing another gig that's cute go ahead you know, right. my, my wife is just kind of the one kicking me in the ass to be like, let's fucking do this. Let's, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So, you know, she said, if you can find one, take it. And uh, I don't know, a few months prior to that, I had gotten some fill in calls for Jason. Uh, he was kind of in between drummers, but didn't have a heavy schedule. So he wasn't really too worried about it mm-hmm. and uh so i i did like a weekend with him and then 
fast forward three months later when I'm at the very dark spot and my wife says, okay, if you can find a gig, do it. So I went in the next day and I I quit. And amazingly, the very next day, Jason called and needed me to, to fill in again for a little bit longer run. And by the second night of that run, they were, you know, he offered me the job. So. Wow. So it, it, yeah, wasn't, it was a pretty amazing time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it wasn't, it wasn't that like Jason offered you this tour and then offered you the permanent gig and then you quit, like you quit and then I quit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's great. Yeah. Wow. Pretty nuts. Yeah. So at this point, he's, um, this is, is this pre drive by truckers or this is post, this is in their, uh, they were working on their self-titled record at uh-huh. this point. Um, so this is probably three years out of the truckers. Okay. Two or th- two or three years out of the truckers. Yeah. Yeah. So it's t- like two, so, 2008. Eight. Okay. Two, yeah. So yeah, actually coming up next weekend is the anniversary of the very first filling gig I did. With oh, wow. Um, but he, yeah. So, uh, yeah, two thousand eight mm-hmm. sounds right. Um, so at that point, I mean, is he is he just kind of running around doing regional clubs, uh, like uh, door deals? No. Like how? <laughs> uh, you know, I don't know what the the business right <laughs> uh, papers looked like, but it was uh, not necessarily regional. We were we were going everywhere. Yeah, uh, and it was it was bare bones five dudes in a van and right and not a lot of sleep and a lot of a lot of orneriness <laughs> <laughs> out of everybody not right of them, but out of everybody yeah yeah um and is is that uh at, at that point were you confident like hitching your wagon to that artist that band i was i was uh i had a, a super strong feeling about his writing, which is no, you know, huge revelation for anybody. I don't think he's a quite an amazing writer. Yeah. Um, but at that point, I felt like even even going and doing that first little group of of gigs, we were playing bars that were, I don't know, probably hold anywhere from a hundred to three hundred people. Mm-hmm. And they were always sold out. And that was more success than I had really seen, hmm. even, you know, on a small level like that. Right. And so, yeah, I mean, like there was something to it. Yeah. And I knew a lot of it was coming from truckers right, right. Uh, fans. But I saw him, you know, taking his own, uh, making his own mark, yeah. you know, aside from them. And so, yeah, I, I, I had no trouble hitching my wagon to him. And it was, uh, you know, it wasn't an easy Easy thing to do, but it, it felt right, and mm-hmm. uh, I felt confident in it for sure. And when, when you say it wasn't an easy thing to do, what what do you mean? What was hard about it? Uh, just the traveling, and you know, pay wasn't great, mm-hmm. but it was solid enough to you know enough work to add up. Right. Uh, but man, just gone for the longest amounts of time. Yeah. You know, I've never I hadn't been gone for my wife and kid that much, and. Um, you know, they paid a, a big price for it, but thankfully they stuck with me. Right. It, but right. It's paying off, man. Yeah. <laughs> um, so this was around the same time, like you're you, you had already kind of returned home from mm-hmm. Memphis, right? Correct. Um, yeah. And so was was the 
the the breakup of the Gamble Brothers band, like, did that kind of prompt your move back home and then the Jason thing got rolling? It actually happened before we broke up. My wife, uh, who is from here as well, got a, when she got out of UT Memphis, got a, uh, a job offer back here. Oh, cool. At the local hospital. She's a cytotechnologist. Uh, a, which, a what now? A cytotechnologist. What does a cytotechnologist do? Uh, whatever she wants. No, she, <laughs> <laughs> she screens cells to see if they're cancerous. So oh, she's wow. in a microscope all day long. Wow. Um, and thankfully doesn't bring it home with her. But right. right. <laughs> to put me under it. <laughs> <laughs> That's impressive. But, yeah, so she got a job offer back here. and We both had our family here, you know, so we were going to have help with starting a family, you know, if, mm-hmm. if we, if at that point we decided to start a family and, uh, and it's, it's a familiar area. Obviously we grew up here and it's pretty cheap to live yeah. here and yeah. pretty safe. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it turns out now my daughter's in school and a lot of her teachers are people that we went to school with. So, you know, it's, it's kind of nice. It's, it's a yeah. great small town vibe. And, yeah, I feel like more and more musicians are are making the choice to um, to live in a place like that, whether it's their hometown or or a place they've just come to. Um, I think you know, as as recently as you know, maybe five or ten years ago, um, if you were serious about it, you set your sights on L.A. or Nashville or New York, right? Um, but more and more now, I, I think uh, people are able to do what they want in a lot of different types of towns. Exactly, exactly. And here's a, a neat geographical uh, fact is that where I live in Muscle Shoals or Tuscumbia, it's the same area. Mm-hmm. I'm two hours away from Nashville. I'm two hours away from Memphis. I'm two hours away from Birmingham. Uh, so, you know. Two hours from all, Atlanta, probably. Well. A little more than that. Yeah. Three and a half. Yeah, okay. Four, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but not bad, you mm-hmm. know, if I ever needed to go do a gig there or anything. So, yeah, I mean, it's 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 pretty nice. And, and my drive, like, we're based out of Nashville, right? So. Yeah. Whenever we start a tour, I'm two hours up there, and it's a nice little old highway, country highway drive for the most part. And, yeah. You know, it's a great way to kind of get get in the mode right. or coming back home to kind of clear your head and, yeah. you know, get ready for for whatever's waiting behind the door for you. <laughs> <laughs> Could be anything. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, you got, you got uh, two kids? or One, oh, one daughter. How old is she? 13-year-old. Oh, so it could 13. really be anything. <laughs> Absolutely. It Man. could and usually is just right. about anything. This episode is brought to you by DrumSellers.com, the niche marketplace where drummers, drum retailers, and drum manufacturers buy and sell their gear. List your drums for sale for free, and the only fee is 4% if it sells. Simple. Check out all the new used vintage and custom drum eye candy at DrumSellers.com. I have a couple of questions about um, just kind of the the evolution from uh, you know five guys in a van to the the world tour in front of thousands of people. Um, have like as the band has gotten bigger and as as Jason has gotten more and more notoriety, have you found that there are more cooks in the kitchen um, as far as making records or as far as making decisions? Um, or has it stayed pretty nuclear? It, it's pretty nuclear. He uh, he uh, runs a tight ship, 
and 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 is very aware of of all angles of his business mm-hmm. and and you know that's the way to do it now does he respect our opinions on stuff yes absolutely mm-hmm. you know but we have all entrusted him uh in him you know the you know whatever decisions he makes they're going to be they're going to be fine and yeah to this point they they usually have been yeah um and so, yeah, he he's very much a man in, in control of his own destiny and right in his business. That's really cool because I, my, my impression is that uh, you know when an, when an artist kind of takes off like that, sometimes they they just kind of delegate uh, certain things to you know business managers or music directors sure. or, or whatever. There um, is the, now there are all those people, mm-hmm. and you know we've gone from five dudes to you know I think there's touring parties somewhere around 22 now which is which is crazy so yeah there has been delegation but he's very much on top and and um and vocal about what needs to happen and the people that we do work with business managers um tour man or uh booking agents have all been been with him for about at least 10 years right you know so so we're uh you know we're pretty solid I, I love family, I love that I about him because I mean obviously he's had the same band forever you know mm-hmm. from from going back to relative obscurity to uh, to now um, but he's even kept kind of the same the same business people the same auxiliary oh yeah you know yeah. non non musical people around him yeah um, well that's, that's it, the, it seems like that's really rare yeah yeah and and these people you know stuck with him through some of their, his darkest moments, you yeah. know? And so there's a lot to be said for that. They yeah. always had his best interest and in, in, at heart. And, uh, you know, I think that's, that's proven itself. Right. Right. And so one of, one of the other things I've, I'm wondering is as, as far as what you get paid, um, I, you know, I'd imagine that's gone up <laughs> significantly over the years, but has, right. has there ever been a point where you had to like advocate for yourself where you saw things taken off and you were like, I need a bigger cut of this. Or was there a transition from getting paid gig to gig to going to salary? Yeah, there, there's definitely been some transitions that have happened along the way mm-hmm. and they've always been fair. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, yeah. I mean, in your mind, you're always going to be like, man, I really think I should probably be making a little more. But right. I mean, when you, when you look at all that goes into it, uh, and all, especially now, all where as much money goes out paying all these people, right? Uh, you know, it's it's fair. It's fair. We're comfortable. Mm-hmm. We're you know living better than I have uh, to this point as a musician. So yeah. uh, you know, it's it's fair. And, and like I said, he he uh, he takes care of everybody. Yeah, for sure. yeah. And you mentioned that uh, you know most of the people around him have been the people that. Uh, have stuck with him through a dark time. Um, Jason has been, you know, pretty pretty public and open about his his struggles with addiction over the years. Mm-hmm. Um, how how did that affect you, either as his, you know, <laughs> professionally as his side man or just personally as his friend? Um, how did you how did you weather that storm? 
day to day was not easy. <laughs> it wasn't always pleasant. Of course, he slept a lot while the rest of us would drive right, uh, right. during those times. But and and to be clear, I'm I'm asking this not to get you to talk out of school about Jason, sure. but but because uh, you know you are definitely not alone in uh, playing with someone or for someone who has some demons. Yeah, um, yeah, it's a common uh, experience, I think, in the music world. Again, you know, I don't. I, I think I believed in it so much that I, I just kind of took it in stride, and uh, you know, and it sometimes were harder than others mm-hmm. to to take it in stride. But um, yeah, I mean, th- there were definitely times where I would just be like, I, you know, I don't know if I can do this anymore, yeah, or if I should do this anymore, right? Um, but you know, I hung in there, and uh, you know. It, Definitely had some some times where you know you would be affected by what was going on with him. Yeah. Um, but you know we we weathered the storm. And yeah. Came out better people for it. I it, think. I, I agree, man. It's such a it's such a great story. I love I love hearing Jason talk about it because um, he just he seems to have learned so much and is and is so articulate about what he's learned. absolutely. Um, that even for somebody, you know, I'm not someone who has struggled with addiction, but, um, I, I know people who have, and I know it's, it's just such a common thing. And to hear him talk about his experience is is just really, uh, uh, I, I get a lot from it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. There are some unbelievable stories. You know? <laughs> I'm <laughs> but sure. All that crap really happened. That, man, that, that song <laughs> super eight is like, uh, just, a, <laughs> A, a little travelogue of, uh, yeah. of life with Jason Isbell in the, in the in the dark days, maybe. Um, but it's but that's the other thing about him is that like in addition to hear him, hearing him talk about it, you know, a song like that it, it obviously paints a picture of just like some really dark shit. But he does it in a in a really poetic and sometimes humorous way. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, like that. I, that's that's one of my favorite songs, man. Uh, you guys did that as an encore when I saw you at the Wiltern, and I was just uh-huh. hoping, I was hoping that like you, you know, you came back on, and Christina had never seen you before, my wife, and and I was like, man, they better fucking do Super Eight. <laughs> I'm gonna be pissed if they don't do Super Eight. <laughs> yeah, he he wrote that. I remember the day that he brought that in. It was on the southeastern sessions, and. Mm-hmm. Dave Cobb was like, yeah, I really feel like we need one more song and we kind of need a rocker, you know? And so the next day Jason came in, he's like, I wrote this one in the shower this morning. (laughs) And that was it. Uh, Jimbo, how long has mm-hmm. Jimbo been in the band? Jimbo is a founding member, wow. uh, so he's probably going on thirteen years, twelve or fourteen years, yeah. maybe. So he predates uh, you. 
Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So he and Jason are, uh, you know, we all grew up in the same area, but I'm a little bit older than both of them. So we kind of missed each other as far as uh, knowing each other, you know, in our youth around here. And uh, But he and Jason are the same age. They went to two different schools, but they met through a high school band function, like a, a marching contest or something. I think they're, I think the story is they were in charge of parking buses <laughs> at this uh, high school band competition. And Jason says that, uh, you know, they didn't know anything about parking buses. And Jason says that uh, Jimbo disappeared for about 10 minutes and then came back and they didn't care that they didn't know anything about parking buses. <laughs> Jimbo just going and made himself, you know, a happier person, I think. So. <laughs> um, but yeah, so they, they, kind of grew up knowing each other and yeah. uh man he's just the most solid he's a solid human and he, he's just been an absolute joy to play with i mean he we've gotten to the point now where we you know my right foot and his right hand match up a lot yeah uh, just effortlessly it seems yeah uh and it's fun to go and do other sessions with jimbo because that's where that really kind of shows like it's almost automatic if we're doing something with Jason, but if we get thrown into a different scenario with somebody else mm-hmm. and we still lock up like that, I mean, it's, it's kind of amazing to me. Yeah. And, and he's a brother and he's, uh, I, you know, I, I wouldn't want to be doing this with anybody else for sure. Yeah. He, when I saw you at the, at the Wiltern, I just immediately got the impression that he is, he's the glue in that band. He's just the egoless undertow <laughs> uh, you know, because like there's some flying around on that stage. You know, uh, yeah. a lot of the players are are pretty active at times. You know, For sure. Yeah. Um, but Jimbo is always just there, right in the middle, just yep. just standing there. <laughs> he's, he's in Jimbo land. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so was there was there a process with him? This, by the way, is Jimbo Clark, the bass player. For anyone who's catching up, um, Hart. Uh, Jimbo Hart. Hart. Jimbo. Yeah. I thought Jimbo Clark. My bad. Jimbo Hart. <laughs> That's an even better name, Jimbo Hart. Yeah, isn't it? <laughs> uh, cool. Um, so was was there a process of kind of hooking up with him over the first couple months or years that you were in the band, or, or was it pretty automatic? No, got got thrown right into it. You know, we were gigging immediately yeah. uh, when I started. So, uh, But we seemed to gel, you mm-hmm. know, right off the bat, I think. Yeah. Um, and... We both have similar influences too. He's, you know, a big New Orleans music fan like I am, and mm-hmm. uh, soul, an R and B. But he's also got, uh, like a, a hard rock, yeah, to him too. Definitely, and you know, he just, he's he knows so much about music and and just about every facet of it, and he's a constant student. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, I realized I kind of skipped over something um, in in your bio uh, that I took a brief glance at. It mentioned that that Zigaboo and Art Blakey were were two of your your major influences. Yeah. Um, so I mean, you you talked about you know playing in high school marching band. You went to college for public relations, and then you're you're gigging in in Memphis. But at, at what point in your drum development did those influences uh, kind of show up uh, in in your head? Uh, the Art Blakey, uh, well, I tell you what, it, going back to my dad's record collection when I was younger, yeah. uh, my brother and I would just go pull out like 
Jimmy Smith records. He had yeah. tons of Jimmy Smith, Ray Charles, uh, uh, West Montgomery, you mm-hmm. know, just anything you could think of Kenny Burrell. Yeah. And so, and, you know, the Art Blakey style, uh, which I, I think I'm pretty sure he played on Jimmy Smith, some Jimmy Smith's. I know a lot of it was Grady Tate, mm-hmm. but, um, you know, that always appear, appealed to me. I loved Art's shuffle. Yeah. Um, and swing shuffle. Mm-hmm. Um, sorry, my dogs are having a time out there. I don't know if you can hear that or not. <laughs> That's all right. Um, so unbeknownst to me, I, I didn't know that's who I was listening to really, mm-hmm. but he, uh, but that, that really appealed to me. Uh, and so, but I guess probably just about out of high school, I started to become aware of, of like the meters. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I was getting into the band too. Listen to a lot of Levon. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, both, you know, Zig and Levon are huge influences on, on my playing. I mm-hmm. would say I don't always get to show it, but you know, they are yeah. for sure. No, I, I hear I hear all of those for sure. Like, and you know, we talked about kind of the swing thing in in mm-hmm. uh, Stockholm and and Levon. Just, I mean, yeah, I, I he he blows me away, and I've I've come to him kind of recently um just in the last couple of years it's it uh, you know i've kind of come around to how uh just sublime his his playing is it's nuts it's, it's not it's it's simple but it's just it's not simple right a lot of the times you know there's yeah. there's so many things kind of working that you don't even realize are going on right and it's playing right um, and just so economical, like the, sure, you know, his, the, the motion does not match the sound. Absolutely. And it's yeah, that's a great, way to put, great way to put that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, is, was there ever a point where you got into Bonham? Not necessarily. No, I, I've never, re- at, not at a young age. Now, mm-hmm. since then, yes, I, I've become way more appreciative than I used to be of, of that era and that style. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, that was never somebody I focused on. Yeah, for sure. Well, I, I was, I was a little more laid back, I think too laid back to be into. To right. Bond. Right. But you, I mean, <laughs> you're, you're like your feel and your time are, are definitely laid back, but you, there's like an energy behind your stroke that, that reminds me of Bonham. Yeah. Um, hmm. And, and it's, it's interesting how like people will ask, like, were you ever influenced by so-and-so? And you're like, well, not really, <laughs> but, but for, for <laughs> me, it was it seeped in there somehow. Yeah. Yes, I mean, I don't know. for me, it was Roy Haynes. Like I, oh, uh, yeah, you know, I, I spent basically my whole twenties playing, playing jazz and Roy, Roy Haynes was never one of my guys. Like I listened to him a bit and I liked him, but I've had multiple people ask me like, you listened to a lot of Roy Haynes, didn't you? And oh, that's like, great. Oh, not really, but thanks. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. So what's, um, what's coming up for, for Jason? You mentioned it's going to be record time again. So it'll be record time. We're going to do some touring this summer. Um, and yeah, we'll get around to, uh, I guess late fall maybe is when we're looking at getting back in the studio. And I'm not sure where that's happening yet. I would assume it's going to be in Nashville, but mm-hmm. I'm not, not positive. Where, where was the last one done or the last couple? Uh, RCA. In Nashville? In Nashville, yeah. Where was Southeastern done? Southeastern was done at Dave Cobb's house 
uh, he had a little home studio. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. In where? In Nashville. In, okay. Yeah. Man. yeah. Uh, cool. So, so it's going to be another thing where Jason has a handful of songs and you don't get to hear them until... Uh, <laughs> if I had to, to bet, yeah, I, I I doubt I'll hear any of them until it's time to to play. I, you know, he he every now and then I think if he does a solo gig in in times like this where where he's kind of in between, he may try one out, mm-hmm. but he doesn't want to get the full band in there yet. Mm-hmm. You know, he'll he'll try them out like at a songwriter's thing or if he's doing a solo gig or, but uh, yeah, for the most part we we just won't hear a, a single note until. Right. Till we get in there, and do you feel like Jason or or the band in general is is feeling any pressure to, um, uh, like reinvent himself or go a different direction, or or do you feel like the kind of the formula of of songwriting and and the the sound that that you've established over the last few years is is working for a while? I don't know that there's any pressure to to reinvent ourselves or himself. He. Uh, you know he's always very confident in what he's what he's doing mm-hmm. uh, or what he's presenting to people, uh, and you know I, I think he's got trust in us. You know to to help form it or shape it or you know sprinkle something. Oh, you know whatever. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he uh, so I, th- I think the level of trust he has with us as his band, you know, I don't think there's any need to try to reinvent. Now, if it happens on its own, maybe, you know, but right, you know, I, I think the the camaraderie and the, the trust is there for us, you know, just to just bang it out like we like we always do. Yeah, you know, and if something different comes out, something different comes out. Well, you're you're selling out shows and winning Grammys, so I, I hope the formula doesn't change for <laughs> yeah, at least too. a while. <laughs> yeah, me too. Um, the the one other thing I, I wanted to ask you about was uh, uh, Meyer Brothers drums, because um, you were you endorsed them for a while and 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 you no longer do. I, I think you still play a, a couple of their snares, right? Um, uh, not, well, you know, every, not on stage. I don't, I, I like when recording, I, I, I'll, you know, switch out a snare or two here right. and there, but, uh, yeah, Jack Mayer, who is a, uh, he lives out in LA and he does, he's Craviato's rap and stain guy, or actually right. stain guy. So he does almost all the stains. For yeah. Him. Yeah. And he started his own company, uh, I don't know. They're probably eight or nine years ago, uh, and I found out about him through Dave Cobb. Cobb had had a kit when we did Southeastern mm-hmm. um, in there, and uh, I actually didn't play it. But I, I mean, I played it, but I didn't. Uh, I don't know that we recorded with it. Mm-hmm. I did sit, sit down behind it and mess with it. It's yeah. like, man, these are great, you know. Yeah, yeah. And they they are great drums, and uh, Jack's a great guy and makes makes awesome drums yeah yeah and i I remember uh i don't know it was two or three years ago that that you became a a gretsch guy Mm -hmm. and you know once once you start traveling a certain amount and and whatever i think it becomes necessary to go from one of the boutique brands to one of the one of the major brands that was the only reason because it's you know I was only going to be able to get backline from from jack if i was in la right (laughs) you know right uh and you know, that, 
it's not not a knock on his craftsmanship or anything like that. Yeah, it, was, it just became kind of a, a necessity. Yeah, it's those logistical things. Uh, and also, who didn't want to be a correction endorsement? Yeah, you know. endorsement. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? Okay, um, but it was cool because I I saw you at the Wiltern and mm-hmm. um, and I didn't recognize the drums. We were up in the balcony and like they have a pretty small logo on the, yeah. on the front head. Um, and I think I had to take a picture of it and like zoom in so I could see what the hell, (laughs) what the hell it was. Um, and I'd never heard of him and I looked him up and, and at the time I was doing like a series of articles about, about boutique drum manufacturers. So I, I cold called Jack and, and I was like, Hey man, I just saw Chad with Jason Isbell and your drum sounded amazing. And I want to write this article on you. He was like, dude, come on over. And you know, <laughs> went to his house and spent like an hour and a half playing drums. And, yeah. and he just ran at the mouth about, about everything drums the whole time. Just the nicest dude. He um, is very nice, very knowledgeable. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. And just so enthusiastic about, about drummers. Like he just wants to hang out with drummers and musicians and, and bang yeah. and stuff. Um, so all that to say, if anybody listening is in LA or going to be in LA, find Jack Myers, hit him up. He will, you know, invite you over to his house and you'll get to bang on some drums. They're beautiful. Yeah. And drums. probably drink some wine. There you go. <laughs> a big wine connoisseur as well. Yeah. I, I think I went to his house at like 1030 in the morning. So that, that wasn't an option, but, hmm. uh, <laughs> 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 That was that was a great little sound. That was like you just said everything. <laughs> you just said everything with one little syllable there. Like oh, really? Well, <laughs> uh, well, cool, man. Thanks, uh, thanks so much for doing this. I've been wanting to do it for a long time. Uh, you know, basically ever since I saw you play. I don't think I was even involved in the podcast at that point, but I was writing articles and doing some profiles on people. I was like, I got to talk to this guy. All oh, right on. Um, well, thank you for the invite, man. Again, this this was a pleasure. Solid cat, right? I especially liked what he had to say about believing in Jason's talent enough to stick with him through the hard times. I think we've all been in situations where we weren't sure if we could stick with someone or if we should, like Chad said. But whether or not you really believe in their talent is something we should consider and listen to when making that decision. So be on the lookout for Chad out there with Jason. He's bound to be coming to your town or close to it before too long. If you want to get in touch with us, you can do so at workingdrummer.net or on Facebook and Instagram. Share pics and videos of your gigs on Instagram using the hashtag workingdrummer, and we'll be featuring those in our stories. Also, please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or YouTube, and leave us a rating and review on those platforms. This helps new listeners find us. Once again, if you want to help support what we do, you can do so with as little as a dollar a month and get access to bonus content from our former guests. Lots of great lessons, tips, and tricks in there. Go to patreon.com slash working drummer. Next week, Matt Krause will be talking with Florida-based drummer Rick Brothers about touring with Brian Howe of Bad Company and about life after Nashville. Hope you check that out. Until then, as always, thanks for listening. Cheers. Cheers.